This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Good evening and welcome to Africa News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Carol Van Dam in Washington, coming up on Africa News Tonight. This is an enabler of Putin's war and of Putin's regime, and he should be stopped. He should not be welcome. That's Cape Town Mayor Jordan Hill Lewis on plans for the megayacht of a Russian oligarch to dock in South Africa. Also, peace talks between Ethiopia and Tigray continue in South Africa. Negotiators have reached an agreement for Namibia to export rare earth materials to the EU. And Cape Town's mayor urges the South African government to deny entry to that Russian billionaire's megayacht. We'll have these stories and more ahead on African News Tonight. Cape Town Mayor Jordan Hill-Lewis has urged the South African government to deny entry to that Russian billionaire's mega-yacht, warning that allowing it to dock in the country could lead to sanctions. Steel and mining tycoon Alexei Mordashov is close to Russian President Vladimir Putin. The U.S., European Union and allies have been seizing property of Russian oligarchs close to Putin since Russia invaded Ukraine. Vicky Stark reports from Cape Town, South Africa. The $500 million mega-yacht Nort left Hong Kong after the city was accused of giving safe haven to those who've been sanctioned. It's expected to arrive in South Africa November 8 or 9, although it is not known exactly where it will dock. The popular port of Cape Town is said to have people with the skills required to maintain the vessel. Cape Town Mayor Jordan Hill-Lewis is a member of the main opposition party, the Democratic Alliance, which controls the municipality but remains subject to national policies set by the African National Congress ruling party. The position of the South African government on the illegal Russian invasion of the Ukraine and the illegal war being perpetrated there has been nothing short of spineless and embarrassing. In this case, they had an opportunity to put some of that right by standing up for principle for standing up for international law and enforcing sanctions by refusing entry to Mr. Mordashov and his enormous uh, luxury yacht. Hill Lewis says he will continue to object. This is an enabler of Putin's war and of Putin's regime, and he should be stopped. He should not be welcome. But unfortunately, they have missed an opportunity and have decided to uh, muddle through sitting on the fence without taking any clear principled position in this matter. So I will certainly stand up for the basic principle that Cape Town and South Africa should not be offering safe harbour to international criminals. South Africa has abstained from voting on every United Nations resolution condemning Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which started in February. After the most recent vote earlier this month, South Africa's ambassador to the UN, Matu Joini, said South Africa remains steadfast that dialogue, mediation and diplomacy is the only way that will lead to a peaceful resolution of the conflict. Presidential spokesperson Vincent Maguenya discussed Mordashov's yacht at a media briefing this week. South Africa's obligations with respect to sanctions um, relate to only those specifically adopted by the United Nations. Currently, there are no UN-imposed sanctions on the particular individual. Um, Therefore, South Africa has no legal obligation to abide by the sanctions that the US and the EU have decided to impose within specific jurisdictions. For as long as 
individuals abide by our immigration laws, we have no reason to prevent their entry into South Africa. Brooke Spector, a political analyst and associate editor of the Daily Maverick, said the South African government should be condemning the war. If it had been me and I were in charge, which I'm not, I would have said, no, the ship can't dock until we have proof that it has no relationship to the war effort or uh, other transgressions. And that would have put a stop to the immediacy of it and perhaps postponed it off to the distant future as a port visit. He said in this instance, the South African government's expressed desire to take a neutral stance is damaging its reputation. Vicky Stark for VOA News, Cape Town, South Africa. Namibian and European Union leaders say they have reached an agreement for Namibia to export rare earth materials to the EU. Western nations are seeking sources besides China for the minerals, which are used to make batteries for mobile phones, electric cars, and other technology. The EU is also interested in Namibia's work on hydrogen energy as Europe tries to wean itself off Russian natural gas. Vitalia Angula reports from Windhoek, Namibia. Erasmus Schivolo Commissioner of Mines at the Ministry of Mines and Energy, says Namibia currently has mines producing lithium, cobalt and graphite, but not on a very large scale. The country has launched an ambitious plan to become a producer of green hydrogen, a clean power source that could be used by industry and to power electric vehicles. Shivolo said the European Union is interested in developing both fields. The EU is the one saying, well, Namibia has got certain minerals that are critical to energy transition, and therefore we want to explore opportunities in working together to develop projects in that space. Shivolo said the countries that have made a commitment to clean energy are interested in green hydrogen because it could be a replacement for fossil fuels. Everyone, actually almost everyone who has signed up to COP26 has made a commitment to reduce carbon emissions in their respective countries by a certain percentage. So uh, it's no surprise that uh, the developing countries, who are actually the biggest emitters of of carbon dioxide uh, in the atmosphere, are interested to do this because they need to clean up by COP26, Shivolo was referring to a UN climate change conference that took place last year in Glasgow, Scotland. The head of the EU delegation to Namibia, Sinica Antilla, told VOA that Namibia and the EU are working on a memorandum of understanding. She said the memorandum is an outgrowth of the EU and African Union summit that took place last year in Brussels. President uh, of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, and Namibian President uh, Kengo agreed that we will start on building a partnership on sustainable raw materials and uh, green hydrogen. And our teams have been working hard on both sides, and I think uh, we are ready to sign later. She said it may be signed at a climate change conference next month in Egypt. Antilla said Russia's invasion of Ukraine has made the world more energy insecure, and so the EU is speeding up its pursuit for alternative energy sources. Unfortunate and, uh, event of having a war in, in 
uh, uh, European soil has given in a way a boost for us to, to advance even faster with our green transition. We already had very, very ambitious plans earlier, but this makes it even more, more uh, important now because uh, the fact is that uh, we have to get uh, rid of the dependency of Russian gas. And uh, because Russia is not a reliable partner at the moment. So that's why we are looking for, well, we have very ambitious plans ourselves. Abraham Naubeb is a community liaison for the Black Business Leadership Network of Namibia. Naubeb says he worries that foreign companies involved in the EU projects may simply use Namibia for its raw materials. The mines that are in Namibia are owned by foreigners, foreign nationals, foreign uh, multinational companies and corporations. They are the ones that own these mines. Then the thing is, they take raw materials as known. They take raw materials and then they go to their countries, ship it to their countries, and then they develop it into finished products. They use it for various things. Nabeb said the government should review its policies and make sure locals have a stake in any mineral exploration projects. Vitalio Angula, VOA News, Vintok, Namibia. Burkina Faso's interim president Ibrahim Traore has assured U.S. diplomats that he has no plans to bring in Russia's Wagner Group to fight Islamic militants. That's according to U.S. State Department Undersecretary for Political Affairs Victoria Newland, who's been traveling in the region this past week. For more, I spoke this past hour to Kamisa Kamara, a senior visiting expert for the Sahel at the United States Institute of Peace and a former foreign affairs minister in Mali. I began by asking her if the U.S. can take Traore at his word. I don't think we can. Uh, he has uh, told the world um, maybe a month ago that he was not going to become the president of uh, Burkina Faso and that uh, uh, a civilian president will be appointed. Um, that wasn't the case, and he's now president of the transition. So I, I don't think that we should take his uh, words for it. What we need to uh, maybe think about is there are multiple ways of, for Burkina Faso to engage with Russia. Bringing uh, Russian mercenaries is, is not the only way. So if the United States uh, delegation mission was to deter uh, Russian influence in Burkina Faso and in the Sahel, um, I, I would think that um, it wasn't a great success and that um, really what the, the, the State Department should have done when it went to Burkina Faso and to Mali was to reaffirm um, the U.S.'s interest in the region and to continue to, to position itself as a, a credible partner, but a partner that also has principles and can bring uh, additional resources to, to the table. Security has actually been deteriorating since Wagner entered Mali and, and rights abuses have been reported. What are you hearing? What I'm hearing is that the Malian government continues to deny that, they, that there are Wagner and Russian mercenaries um, in Mali. It is very clear from, from uh, credible reports, uh, uh, including reports from Human Rights Watch, that the, the security situation has deteriorated, that human rights violations continue to be uh, perpetrated by uh, Russian uh, mercenaries. I sometimes wonder how long 
uh, it will take for the Malian government to decide to break away from from that uh, ill-thought partnership. But again, I, I, I believe that the United States um, should continue to engage um, with uh, countries like Burkina Faso and, and Mali and even Guinea um, on, in coastal West Africa to ensure that it continues to be considered a credible partner and that those countries choose to partner with the United States rather than, than Russia. And as you point out, you say that, that the U.S. should continue to engage with Burkina Faso, Mali, and other countries in the region. But what is the U.S. going to do to help Burkina Faso be secure, given what they're facing with the militants? So the the issue that we've, we've been facing in the Sahel, especially uh, when it comes to the security situ- situation, has been very, very complex. Uh, many international actors have been involved in uh, trying to resolve uh, the crisis. I believe the U.S.'s approach, which was to really um, continue to support the G5 Sahel, was was the right one. Uh, but it looks like these efforts have have uh, faded. And I believe that with this new U.S. Uh, Africa strategy that has just come out, the U.S. really needs to sit down with those partners and define a new way forward. That was Kamisa Kamara, a visiting expert for the Sahel at the U.S. Institute of Peace and a former foreign affairs minister in Mali. She was speaking to me this past hour here in Washington. You're listening to Africa News Tonight, live on The Voice of America. I'm Carol Van Dam in Washington. Please note we have moved our programs from voanews.com to voaafrica.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com. The three-day Egypt Economic Conference 2022 recommended increasing the private sector's share in the country's economic activity and supporting the economy while navigating the ongoing global economic crisis. Saeed Sadek, professor of political sociology at the American University in Cairo, spoke with VOA senior analyst Mohammed El Shinawi about the timing of the conference, which ended on Tuesday, and whether its recommendations would be adopted. As you know, every new Egyptian president would usually hold at the beginning of his term a conference to try to solve the economic problems. This was no exception at all. But unlike previous times, this was held after eight years of President Sisi's rule. And it comes in in October when we began to hear that there is an imminent agreement with IMF. And so this agreement with IMF would require Egyptian economy change many things, including free flotation of the Egyptian pound and also more power to the private sector by making the government, which means the military, withdraw from the economy. And so they needed a legitimate cover and a national conference where everybody would be there, especially the government and the pro-government people, and they would make statements that in the end would serve and give the cover for the agreement with IMF. Remember, at this time, we have also a parallel conference going on, the political national dialogue, which doesn't get the same media coverage like the economic conference that lasted three days. The political dialogue conference has not ended and we don't see what is happening. There is no air coverage. 
But will these recommendations coming out of this conference be applied or not? Previous conferences made recommendations, but they were never applied. It was easier said than done. But this time, President Sisi promised that all the recommendations coming from this conference, which, and, and as I mentioned, those recommendations are similar to what the IMF wants, would be immediately applied. And so most likely, because they need the agreement with IMF, many of those items will be applied, but some of them may be slower than others going into force. During his participation in the conference, Egyptian economist and former minister of investment Ziad Bahaeddin said Egypt needs to empower the private sector to attract more investors who would contribute to the country's GDP and economic activity. The IMF has been asking the Egyptian government to do so for years. Would that be adopted now? We have the official uh, recommendations and it has been adopted on paper, but the application is easier said than done. Why? There are many internal and external vested interests that may obstruct the application. And it's not that easy that you can change the economy from one direction to the, to the other overnight. It takes time and it takes a lot of arms twisting until you get what you want. And so this remains to be seen. We cannot say that this would be applied. We just have to wait and see how much would be applied. Is it fast? Is it big? Is it slow? Time will tell where we're going. The Egyptian-American global economist Mohammed Al-Aryan said in a recorded message aired during the conference that the ongoing global economic challenges has been affecting emerging and developing markets and that these challenges require a more sustainable and inclusive economic growth and a more resilient financial system rather than the artificial finances provided through the central banks. What went wrong with the Egyptian financial policies? Priorities were not given to obtaining foreign currency from sectors like tourism. They went after what is called hot funds and projects that would make yields after a very long period of time. This, along with the corona pandemic, the Ukrainian conflict, the rise of interest uh, on the U.S. dollar, led to the flight of those important hot funds. This caused, of course, a shortage in foreign currency in a country that imports more than 60% of its food and production requirements. And that is the reason we have this uh, crisis. That was Saeed Sadek, professor of political sociology at the American University in Cairo. He was speaking with VOA senior analyst Mohammed El Shanawi. In Malawi, protesters and opposition supporters marched in the commercial capital Blantyre Thursday to protest the high cost of living and alleged corruption. The demonstrators presented a petition to the office of President Lazarus Chakrera. Lamek Messina reports from Blantyre, Malawi. Hundreds of protesters took to the streets Thursday, braving the heat wave that pushed the temperature above 40 degrees Celsius. There were no placards displayed but the chants of demonstrators were loud enough to explain the reason for the protest. Joshua Chisambere is the leader for the action against impunity, a network of civil rights organizations behind the protest. He accuses the government of mishandling money Malawi received to fight COVID-19, among other alleged transgressions. We are sick and tired to have a government which is stealing day and night. 
We have lost so much resources for the past two years. We lost the COVID money and we cannot take it anymore. We say that they should leave the office and go home. Mbele also said Chakwera has failed to fulfill promises he made during his campaign two years ago when he said he will ensure food security to all Malawians and create one million jobs for Malawians once he got into power. There was no immediate comment from the government on the concerns raised by the protesters. Earlier this week, Chakwera fired Minister of Agriculture Robin Lowe and his deputy Madali Sokambawa Wirima over what the president called incompetence and gross negligence. And the president blamed the two for facilitating a fertilizer procurement deal which saw Malawi's government lose about 725,000 US dollars to a British company that failed to supply the commodity. The issue was among those listed as grounds for Thursday's demonstration. Malawi opposition parties supported the protest, saying it was justified. Rebecca Mwale was another protester taking part in the march. She says everything has become worse in this country. Prices of food items have unreasonably gone high. Medicines in hospitals are in short supply. She says a lot of things are not working. Even running a business is becoming problematic. Mbele hopes Chakwera will respond to the concerns once he received the protesters' petition. In the petition, we say that the admitter want to see action. We have heard enough. They have spoken enough, but want to see action. We cannot be listening. It's not a time for quiet. We want Chakwera to show leadership similar protests are expected to take place friday in malawi's capital Lilongwe, where protesters are expected to march to the state house to present a petition directly to president chakwera lamek masina for VOA news blanta malawi In the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo, government forces and the M23 rebel militia have engaged in fierce fighting this week. Journalist Jafar Al-Khatanti is in the eastern city of Goma and says the rebels controlled the road connecting Goma to the town of Rachuru for several hours today. The road is key to carrying imported goods from the East African coast into Goma. However, a few hours later, the armed forces of the DRC, or FDRC, managed to push the rebels back and reopened the road. Still, Jafar reports hundreds of people have fled the fighting over the past several days. I called, I talked to the president of the tribal society in the region. He said almost everybody in Kalengera, Rubare, and Kako left cities The M23 is one of dozens of militant groups fighting for territory or control of resources in the eastern DRC. The group had been quiet for several weeks before resuming on Monday. The militants say they resumed fighting because the government had not implemented what's called the Nairobi peace process, which began with talks in April in Kenya. The M23 leaders said instead the FDRC had attacked them. But the government said M23 started... So we don't know who started, but for them, we say they are responding to the FRDC attacks.
Jafar reports the government has said little about the fighting and military officials have not returned his calls. He said many of the displaced people fled toward Goma, but others remain in unsafe areas and that aid groups have not been able to reach. And that wraps up this edition of Africa News Tonight. I'm Carol Van Dam in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mukville Yabaro, and our engineer, thanks for choosing The Voice of America.